I'm conducting uh, an interview with Henrietta Bowden Jones uh, for International Women's Day 2023. Uh, Henrietta, um, please could you just introduce yourself uh, and tell us a little bit about your role in psychiatry? Well, thank you, first of all, Peter, for having me here on this uh, podcast for International Women's Day. It's a real honour to be here. Um, my, my, I have multiple roles in psychiatry, but my area of expertise is behavioural addictions. And I set up and run the National Centre for Behavioural Addictions based here in London, under which sit the National Problem Gambling Clinic, which I set up in 2008 as the first ever NHS clinic treating gambling disorders. And then many years later, in 2019, I started the National Centre for Gaming Disorders. And again, it's the first ever NHS treatment centre for gaming disorders. The populations are very different. I'm sure we'll have a chance to discuss all that, uh, but pr primarily very young, younger people in the gaming. Um, I'm also national um, expert advisor on gambling harm. So I spend a lot of time advising Parliament, House of Lords, uh, NHS England and many other uh, people. Um, so and I also, of course, at the Royal College of Psychiatrists, I have been uh, the spokesperson for the college now for well over a decade on gambling and indeed other behavioural addictions. Thank you, Henrietta. Now, this International Women's Day, one of the things we're discussing is gender equity and gender equality. So what do you think is the difference between equity and equality? And why is it important to differentiate, do you think? Well, one of my past roles was president of the Medical Women's Federation. Uh, I was in role for two years and another two years as president-elect. So I have navigated uh, the whole concept of equity and equality at length within medicine. I'm taking that we're discussing um, a medical setting particularly. And I think one of the biggest issues that we always came across was the idea of uh, quotas or non-quotas in relation to uh, medical women in senior positions. And should, there, should it be something we might advocate for or not. And interestingly, despite having spent all those years, and actually I was vice, vice president before that, so I have six whole years surrounded by uh, medical women in terms of the officers, uh, trying to work out what the best way forward was. And I think it, it remains very complicated because um, uh, whereas we're very clear what we want to achieve, which is um, justice, just a, a very um, equal uh, representation in terms of gender at, in senior positions uh, within the medical sphere in all areas. And I mean, therefore, also in academic medicine, for example, where there is still a long way to go. Um, it, you know, how one gets there is, is far more complex uh, in relation to uh, how much would one be instrumental at, at a sort of systems level to ensure this happens. And um, now that I'm vice president at the Royal Society of Medicine, we, I do see something really good happening where actually some instrumental changes are 
occurring where people will say, well, I won't speak on this board because there are no women. And someone else will say, yes, there are no women because actually there are no senior women, senior enough in this particular sphere to participate. And the other person will say, well, actually there are, you just haven't looked hard enough. And, 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 and indeed, you know, female colleagues who have specialism in those areas will be put on the board and the RSM feels very proud to be encouraging this. And on this note about equity and equality, there is um, now a, a wonderful organization uh, that uh, provides female speakers in all specialties in medicine in order, for, um, in order to avoid these particular issues that have uh, really fallen upon us um, for, for, for many years where you, you end up with particular boards not being representative enough. I hope that answers your question. It does and it sounds like good news. So the next question is what role does gender equity have within the mental health space? And I suppose you've been talking about that in respect of uh, doctors. So does it have uh, a role in the in the patient care space at all? Uh, I'm so glad you've asked me this. Uh, I, it is a real issue, I think, in addictions in general. As you know, a lot of, well, in general, in mental health, a lot of the research in the past was conducted on men rather than women. Uh, and um, generally speaking, I do still believe there is not enough parity of esteem between uh, uh, genders in the treatment and approaches to research and um, particularly when you look at pharmacological interventions for women. Um, so, so I don't think it's enough to say we've got, what you tend to see in addictions often is we've got a women's group. Um, you know, women don't feel comfortable, therefore we've got a women's group. And then you look at the women's group and often it's talking therapy, counseling instead of evidence-based interventions. Um, and so what I've done here at the National Problem Gambling Clinic, where I spend most of my time, is to try and ensure that we give people the opportunity, um, and I mean women in this particular case, to be treated in exactly the same way. Now, this sounds completely normal. Why would you not? Well, because just that sort of gender bias in relation to treatment, I think is slightly pervasive when it comes to uh, off-license prescribing, for example. So I'm talking of naltrexone here and the fact that we do know, um, there is enough research to know that people with gambling disorder who are not responding well enough to cognitive behavioral therapy might benefit from naltrexone. Now, there isn't a strong evidence because not enough studies have been done. However, enough studies for the college to have it on their website as an intervention, for the NICE guidelines to be considering it now before their publication. And so I have been giving this, prescribing it to uh, mainly male patients. And at some points a few years ago, I thought, well, hang on a minute, am I displaying what is unconscious gender bias in relation to pharmacological interventions? Is it actually that myself and my team are not giving our female patients enough of a possibility of being prescribed this medication. So now I do, um, uh, I'm making an active effort to offer it. And um, some, some women will be keen on it, some won't. But the fact is that women suffer from gambling disorder in a severe way, just as much as men do. Yes, they're only 10 or 
actually at, at our clinic now that it's higher. It's about 15% of the population, but they need to be treated in the same way. And in the old days, even a decade ago, we were offering these very supportive um, let's call it, you know, slightly psychodynamic, but also more kind of nurturing groups. And I look back and I think, no, that's, you know, I do believe that's unconscious gender bias. And I hadn't read up enough about it, nor had my team to really understand that whatever people present with, they deserve evidence-based approaches because that's what we know works. Everything else can be added on top. And that's what we tend to do now. So I, I hope I've given you a very clear demonstration. And just one other thing, if I talk about the gamers, the young gamers, they're mainly boys. When girls come along, they deserve to be treated again in exactly the same way. So um, we are now absolutely clear they will get treated with CBT just like the boys, um, despite the fact um, that they are young girls, there may be other things going on, etc. It doesn't matter if it's gaming disorder, it gets treated that way. That's a really, really interesting example. And it makes me wonder, can the college do more to promote gender equity? I think the college is doing an enormous amount in relation to the medical side of things. If we're looking at gender and doctors and physicians and power, and I, I think really having been involved with the college, um, always, you know, I was one of the first, one of the young people who got involved in the Faculty of Addictions as soon as I, you know, pretty much as I became a specialist registrar, I was taken on. And I remember how you know, um, nurturing the college always has been in relation to um, to gender. I think I've always feel the college is gender neutral in that respect. You know, it's meritocratic, I think, and, and, and a wonderful college because of that. But I think in relation to patients and, and gender equity there, um, uh, difficult to know exactly what could help. But potentially, you could argue that, you know, one day a year there should be uh, you know, a, a whole conference on this in relation to publications, who's doing things well, what are we seeing, who is able to address that balance and start to conduct the studies that have historically been male based. You know, you know all about the cardiovascular research and how that's been so predominantly based on men that women end up uh, dying because they are not treated in the same way as men when it comes to heart attacks, etc. Well, I do wonder whether the college could focus on um, interventions, uh, pharmacological interventions too, in relation to women in psychiatry, and maybe you know have goals that are year on a yearly basis get get addressed because we are all potentially victims. Uh, falling prey to this unconscious gender bias. That's one of the things that being president of MWF really made me realise. And there are great books. Um, it might be also worthwhile thinking about a list of books that we could uh, have on our website, both about um, things like the uh, health gap and uh, positions of power and uh, you know, the gender gap, but also very much around patients. Thank you. There's some, some great ideas there for us to think about. Um, you've spoken a little bit about this already, um, but what do you do personally 
to promote gender equity in the workplace. I'm thinking you've given a bit of an example of that already or outside work. What I what I did when I left uh, the presidency and moved across to the Royal Society of Medicine, um, initially I was just on the on psychiatry council and then I became president of psychiatry at the Royal Society of Medicine before becoming vice president. And at each stage, I um, was determined not to lose that gender, that female leadership, that equality agenda. And uh, what I did actually in the last um, year, I've set up uh, these special meetings at the Royal Society of Medicine that are on leadership uh, and gender equality or, or gender gap, health gap issues. And these are continuing and they are Royal Society of Medicine um, uh, and Medical Women's Federation uh, events or they are through the RSM as leadership and women events when it comes to medical uh, female uh, colleagues and they have been enormously uh, successful. Uh, one of the days was attended by hundreds of women and the thing they enjoyed most was the interactive more mentoring like uh, afternoon around tables where people were really supported through working through um, examples of things they may encounter as difficulties. So it, it, it comes down in a way it's, you know, it's fine to talk in an abstract way about what one believes in. But if you can actually deliver stuff that is helpful to others, for example, these evenings at the RSM or the full day, Parveen Kumar is amazing in this, um, Jane Dacre, another great guru, a great, great medical woman who has done so much with the leadership courses at UCL, you can, you can take people with you, they look at you as someone who is leading the way because you've achieved things in your career, but you can actually say, look, yes, I am, but here are all the things I'm doing to have you with me on those days to really understand and network. And that's been wonderful. And actually, I do have some people I now um, who've asked me, you know, if I if I would help mentor them, etc. And I tend to do that, um, although I do prefer working on a slightly larger scale because it is very difficult when you are so busy with your um weekly work uh, schedule to also have time to meet people individually whereas I think these evenings where everyone gathers and you kind of talk people through and you share your um, tips and your views and you have panels um, I really encourage anyone listening to this to look up the Royal Society of Medicine's uh, Medical Women's Federation nights that I've um, you know hosted well, it sounds like you're, you're doing a lot in all sorts of ways on this. Um, and so uh, my last question is, what advice would you give someone starting their career in psychiatry? Well, I'm glad you say someone because, you know, again, let me go back to being gender neutral. I really, really am uh, in that respect. I don't, you know, particularly um, feel, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I'd like to sort of talk to everyone who's listening, not just women. So I, I've got a really um, clear piece of advice. Uh, I really believe that if you can find a niche 
uh, and you can become an expert in that niche in psychiatry. Um, you will contribute uh, in a far greater way with enormous uh, benefits uh, in terms of professional uh, returns and rewards. So uh, when we looked at a lot of the research in, in, in terms of uh, work satisfaction, uh, when I was the president of NWF, making a difference, making a difference was the highest rated uh, criteria. And, and actually, I, I really believe that in terms of my career, feeling that, you know, you set up the first ever clinic, thousands and thousands of people have been through it. Now there are about to be 15 identical clinics all over the country. You feel you have changed people's lives uh, in terms of informing not just the treatment, but also what government can do to address a specific issue. Now, it's harder to do if you're dealing with uh, a whole set of things because people will tend not to focus on them in the same way. But if you can do your psychiatric training, find something that really stimulates you intellectually, um, then that will bring enormous rewards, not just to the patients and therefore to the population at large, but to you as well. And my last uh, tip, which goes hand in hand, is that one of the best things I ever did was to do a doctorate at Imperial in neuroscience. It allowed me to understand the essentials of what I was treating in relation to the neurobiology of the illness. And it allowed me, therefore, to be able to publish uh, and have a sort of research hat. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone needs to do that, but I will say people come up to me, often women, sadly, and say, oh, I, I'm no good at research, you know. And you just think, well, everyone can be good at research. Clinical research is vital, uh, particularly when it comes to things like gender bias. And therefore, it is absolutely uh, unhelpful to the individual and their career to, to, to talk about being no good at research. Uh, research should accompany uh, professionals and allow them to demonstrate in an evidence-based way what it is they're doing, what their outcomes are and what they're seeing, even if they don't venture into the neuroscience of, of, of the uh, presentation they are um, they're writing about. Henrietta Bowden-Jones, thank you very much for speaking to us. Um, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So, Trudy, thank you for joining us to celebrate International Women's Day. Please could you start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your role? You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Um, so I'm Dr. Trudy Senevaratna. Uh, I am the registrar for the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Uh, I also work um, at South London and Maudsley uh, in SLAM NHS Trust as a clinician, uh, where I am uh, an adult and perinatal psychiatrist working in the mother and baby unit and our community services and a manager there where I'm a clinical director. Um, and I think also relevant to Women's Day is uh, the fact that I'm a mother of two uh, boys, teenagers, and a, a one teenager and a young man. Thank you. Very good. So um, this year's theme 
of International Women's Day is embrace equity. So can you tell us, please, why it's important to understand the difference between equity and equality? Yes, of course. Yeah. So that's really important to get right. Um, I mean, obviously, we all want to be boosted so that we achieve the best that we possibly can. But the fundamental difference between equity and equality is an individual. So equity, um, so equality is everybody getting basically the same package to, to move forward. But that may not mean that a certain individual gets to the, the same level or the same bar as some someone else. So equity is giving a tailor-made package for the individual to boost their, you know, what they need uh, in order to get to a certain level. So for somebody, that may be a different and a bigger package to somebody else who needs a slightly smaller package to get to the same level or the, the you know, the, the, the right bar. So that's essentially the difference. That's a great answer, and I think that's that, that's very clear. So, what role does gender equity have within the mental health space? And can you tell us about your experiences, perhaps when you've realised more needs to be done, or maybe you've had some really positive experiences? Thank you. Yeah. So I, I think it's really important to remember that gender equity applies as much to men as it does to women. But of course, it's, you know, we're talking about International Women's um, Day here. And so I'm going to focus on thinking about the needs of women. So um, I'm also going to think about how gender equity is important and translates in two areas in the mental health space. So let me start by thinking, so clinicians, how it applies to clinicians as a psychiatrist and also to, to patients and clinical care. Um, so if I start with clinicians, I can think of sort of two immediate areas that come to mind with people that perhaps I look after, trainees or other doctors, uh, female doctors. And the two areas that it really comes up, gender equity comes up, over and over again are people who are parents or have caring roles of some sort and people who are either pregnant or have young children or older children or children with disabilities or are carers of old pe older people or just other caring roles uh, there are always slightly different packages of support and care that we need to give to our and you know, it's mainly women that come forward, particularly in caring roles. It's mainly a female population of psychiatrists that uh, come forward asking for specific needs. So it's always really important in those conversations um, that we are supporting women in those parenting roles and also in those caring roles. And it's you know tailored towards the individual needs. So what one person needs is you know might be very different to what somebody else needs. So that's thinking about the clinician. Um, and thinking about perhaps the patient aspect of it, uh, I am a perinatal psychiatrist, so I, I deal with women a lot. Um, and in discussions and conversations with patients, either pregnant women or when they've had a baby, again, issues that come up again and again when women are recovering from um, their mental illness, and severe mental health problems, whether it's psychosis or depression or anxiety, are issues to do with childcare, uh, return to work, the balance between 
going to work, having childcare responsibilities. And again, you know, the specific package of care that they need, um, or it might even be the support that they need. And support might be different for different women based on what their needs are and cultural backgrounds are and social backgrounds are. And it's really important to, to, to tailor the support that they need based on who they are. And it's different. So that's where the gender equity bit comes in, because for them to reach their potential when they return to work, having had a baby will be different for each person. Um, so it's to sort of help them to have uh, go on to have the right conversations, either with their partner or their family or indeed in the workplace to make sure that they get the right level of support. That's interesting. And um, in the workplace, do you think that those things are happening as well as they should be and could be? No, I absolutely don't. So those are often very, very hard conversations for women to still have today in 2023. And so I don't think it is adequately um, thought about. Um, often people feel embarrassed to ask for what should be their right, actually, uh, or they feel a, a duty to return to work. Um, and then there might be other stresses related to sort of the financial, you know, they need to have um, income coming in, so they don't want to be looked to be asking for something that, you know, is not their, is, is actually their right, but they don't want to be asking for it. So there's, you know, women still have, you know, certainly a lot of women still are embarrassed to ask for what is rightfully theirs. So it's not easy. So it's, um, it's I think there's there's an awful lot more that can be done. That's, that's interesting. And so in terms of gender equity, what more do you think the college could do to promote gender equity and, and to move things forward? Well, I think the college has done a really good job in taking gender equity uh, forward. Um, so, you know, in the last few years, we've really helped to to think about this in a way that you know, I don't think the college thought about many, many years ago when I was a, a younger psychiatrist, for example. So I think the college has done some good work in this, but that's not to say the story is over. I think there's a lot more that we can do um, to promote it. I think we can be supporting uh, workplaces. I think we could be encouraging um, mental health organisations, um, both NHS Trust, but also in you know other organizations and independent practice wherever psychiatrists are working whether they're working full-time or whether they're working in less than full-time roles um, so we can be supporting workplaces um, so that's that's a big piece of work I think we can do. Excellent and and may I ask what do you do personally to promote gender equity uh, either in the workplace or maybe even outside work? Yeah, so just thinking about that, I think the place that I probably do it the most is probably in those conversations with actually quite quite a lot with with my trainees, for example, um, and with consultants during appraisals or job planning. And I think conversations around gender equity come up pretty much in every conversation, uh, helping or in sort of coaching or mentoring conversations where we're thinking about um, a balance in life and making sure that 
there is a balance between all the roles that an individual has, uh, whether it's in sort of their role in the workplace, in, in their clinical space, their education space, their research space, balancing that with whatever might be going on at home, if they do have parenting responsibilities or carer responsibilities. And in that sort of planning of their work, helping them to ask for the right support that they need so that they are able to achieve the best that they can possibly achieve. And I often find that uh, women of all grades from you know trainees through to senior consultants and senior SAS doctors, I often find that people, women don't ask for what they need. Um, and that always surprises me that um, even really competent women uh, that are at the top of their game in lots of ways feel that it's a struggle for them to genuinely ask to have all the things that they need to achieve of their best. And why do you think that is? It's a really, really good question. Um, I think even though the world has moved so far forward in the space of equity and gender equity, I still think it's very, very, it's a very small minority of women who are able to genuinely ask for everything that they need to reach the bar that they need to get to. And I think there is still a fear that if you ask for, or if one asks for what's rightfully yours, that you'll somehow be seen as a as a pushy, as a pushy person or as a, you know, as a forceful woman. Uh, and that's not, I mean, you know, that's absolutely not right. That's wrong. Or you'll be perceived of as an aggressive um, person some in some way. So I think there is a fear up there. Women all, often feel guilty as well about asking for things. So I think that's part of sort of a makeup um, of women, of many women, where they feel constantly that they, you know, they're not worthy. It's not, you know, somehow they're not they're not worthy of getting something, and have to feel guilty for asking for something. So yeah. I think that is an inherent sort of makeup of a woman, if you like, which makes it difficult. Things are um, moving, things are changing, but I think again, I think there's a there's a long, long way to go. I think this, you know, some of this can can happen with kindness where women are, are encouraged to, you know, to ask for absolutely everything they 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 deserve to have uh, and that it's OK. And, you you know, you can have these things and you're allowed to have these things and you don't have to feel guilty for having them. I suppose there's an argument that each each generation is different from the previous one in some way and, and this next generation joining the workforce may may be different to those that have gone before them uh, in in the way that you're talking about there we shall see what advice would you give to someone starting their career in psychiatry now yeah that's lovely you're absolutely right there are generational changes aren't they and we would like to hope that each generation nudges positively in the direction of gender equity. Um, I think the advice I would give is that, you know, 
when you're when starting in psychiatry, wherever you are um, in the world, whatever the sort of social, geopolitical, cultural context is, and all of that matters because all of that contributes to how somebody achieves the maximum of themselves. I would advise always, always ask for what you what you want. Just ask for as you progress forwards in your career, obviously have a dream, pursue that dream, whichever area of psychiatry you want to go to uh, and go into, but also be brave enough always to ask for all the tools that you need to be able to progress to the next level. Be brave enough to ask for and unashamedly be brave enough to ask for for everything, whether that's, you know, a clinical role or an educational role or if it's a mentor um, within a race, within a research area or it's a, you know, it's a additional support because you happen to be a parent or you happen to be a carer. Just ask for all the support that, that you need uh, and hopefully that will, you know, fuel a fantastic career in whatever it is that you're going to be doing. So don't be, yeah, don't be frightened to to ask for anything that you need to to boost your career. Some great thoughts there, Trudy, and some great advice. Thank you very much for joining us on International Women's Day. Thank you so much, Peter.